Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow listeners, and welcome to episode 13 of Can I Pick Your Brain? Today, I invite you on a journey to financial freedom, where I will be picking the brain of Roger Whitney. Roger is known best as the Retirement Answer Man. He has walked the journey into retirement with countless individuals and families. Roger is a partner at WWK Wealth Advisors, and he has also got his own online radio show called The Retirement Answer Man. Roger, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. I am very excited to be lucky number 13. (laughs) It is lucky, you know. It's, It's a lucky number in various religions. I assume you've already retired? No, no, no. (laughs) I thought I'd start off with that one. (laughs) No plans to retire. Right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what it was like growing up? Well, growing up was in a single family household and two older sisters and became a financial advisor right out of college in 1990. So that's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, walked that journey of, you know, building a business and then realizing what my core competency was and blowing up that that type of business and building the business that fit who I was and who I wanted to serve. And about uh, 13 years ago now, started a independent advisory firm with two uh, wonderful partners and now serve individual clients walking that journey into a more independent way of living. Cool. Now, Roger, I did some research on you. Oh, boy. Yeah. You were a high school wrestler and cheerleader. Is that right? (laughs) I was. I was. What what does that mean? And just to round that out, I was uh, on the debate team as well. (laughs) That's not as funny as being the wrestler and also the cheerleader, though. Well, well, I think the wrestling came about because I couldn't play basketball. And okay. after football season, that's what you did is if you play basketball. So I couldn't do that. But my senior year, uh, about five or six of us that were didn't really want to play basketball. We didn't want to wrestle. So we decided to be cheerleaders and hang out with the girls, which was a very smart move. So you, so you, you were a male cheerleader. I, well, yeah, be, I haven't changed my sex. So, yeah, I was a male then like I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, how does that work exactly? I mean, what, you do all the moves with the with the pom poms. No, and- no, no. So, okay, so we, if you have male cheerleaders, they're very manly men, and they they do all the stands. So they'll hold girls up on you know up on the oh. pyramids. So we're like the base of the pyramids. Well, that's a good position to be in. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, no, I had no pom poms. Okay, good, wonderful. All right. So, so getting into the retirement um, industry, I mean. And I'm going to be very honest here. Aren't retirement plans boring? I mean, if I'm honest, I, I don't really believe in retirement plans. I, I think that true entrepreneurs never really retire. I am totally with you. I think uh, traditional retirement planning is one-dimensional in trying to solve past generations' issues. I think they haven't caught up to what it really means nowadays. So I am 100% with you. I mean, I'm on chapter seven of my book. I've been working on this book forever. And the working title is Screw the Word Retirement, How to Create yeah. If You Don't Want to Retire From. And I agree 100% with you. Except but you are a retirement planner. Isn't that what you do for a living? I'm a financial planner. So I yeah, help people 
make wise financial decisions now and to work towards the things that they care about most. So I think what you're referring to is normal financial planning or retirement planning focuses up, makes everything about saving and investing, right? It's about building this huge nest egg for when you are quote unquote retired, mm. uh, which takes all the power away from you and puts all the power into having to invest and rely on something else to give you returns. Uh, that's a very one-dimensional way of thinking about things. So, and, and that's where the process that I use and have developed is much more multidimensional, where it's not so much about retiring. It's about finding that balance between living as well as we can today because this is the this is the day that we are alive and we want to have a, a full life today. But we also have to make sure that our tomorrows are taken care of. So it's how do you find that balance? And it, it savings and investing are important, but there's so much more that's important than that. Right. And and you don't come across as a boring person. So how do you make retirement plan planning seem sexy? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know if it's sexy. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think I think it, the key is, you know, when we let's think it, when we when we plan about the future or we think about financial issues, we all just want to go to sleep. I mean, right. even in my own life, I mean, when I have you know managing our personal finances with my wife and I, that's the last thing we want to talk about when we're home together because well, that that and life insurance, yeah, yeah, there you go, or an estate plan. Oh God, yeah. So, and I have those same issues, and uh, usually when. We have to deal with it or it's because we saw something happen to someone else and it sort of creates a little uh, discomfort for us. I'm like, oh, I better be prudent. I better go take care of that. And then we go seek somebody out and they put us through this long, orderous, you know, horrible process Mm. to get that result. So what I do is rather than try to swallow that entire elephant all at once, we have lots of little conversations and we just continually make little adjustments along the way, and eventually everything gets taken care of. Because where the real power is, Daniel, is not in creating some you know hundred-page financial plan, which is what a lot of people do. It's right. in how do we live intentionally? So intentionally with our money, intentionally with our relationships, intentionally with our profession. And that's well, what do you mean practically, though? What do you mean by that? intentionally living. Okay. Well, so here's an example. Like the the first step of my process is setting short-term goals, but long-term aspirations. So that's not that, you know, you know, innovative. Everybody, you know, understands goal setting, but the problem when we're thinking about, I mean, you're a pretty young guy. I mean, if I were to ask you about retirement, I already know how you're going to say. So if you wanted to build a financial plan, right, most planners would force you into, when do you want to retire? Do you know what my Do you know what my retirement plan is? What's that? Try to stop my wife from shopping so much. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so, well, we're have to get, we're going to have to get to relationship advice later on. Oh, we will. Know. We will. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do is we set long term aspirations. We get people to dream really big about the future, not just about retirement. With the idea, with the understanding that those aspirations will change as they change, as their life unfolds. But then once we have those long-term aspirations, and this is where I think the empowerment comes in, we zoom back down and we set what I call SMART sprints. Now, SMART is an acronym for goal setting, but we make very uh, short-term SMART sprints in three areas of someone's life. So we have a SMART sprint for their financial life. 
that's in align with their long-term aspirations. We have a smart sprint in their personal life, and that could take the form of improving their relationships or improving their health. And then from a money perspective, and this is the most important one, a smart sprint in their professional life in terms of how do we move the ball forward in a meaningful way, step by step. And this makes it much more real to people. But most importantly, it makes them realize they actually have power over how their life unfolds in terms of acting proactively. So that's what we do. So for those that don't or have never heard of the SMART goal-setting principle, can you explain what SMART stands for? Oh, Lord, I knew you were going to ask me that. Okay, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-bound. Bam. Bam, you got it. Got it. Okay. So you, you <laughs> Okay. So like a good example for a professional goal. Let's say we're dealing with an entrepreneur and we Can have, we break that down? Sorry. Can we break that so you said specific. specific so, so it has to be very specific. Okay. Measurable, you have to know if it's hit or not. Mm-hmm. Actionable, it has to be something that you have control over, not something that is outside of your control. Okay. Realistic, so achievable, hopefully a little bit of a stretch, but achievable. And time bound. So let me give you some examples. What would not be a smart goal would be, I want to network more in my business next year. Hmm. That's not specific. It's not measurable. There's no real action there. Now, another way of saying that would that would fit into that smart methodology would be, I want to attend one networking event each week for the next six months. Mm -hmm. That's much more actionable. So something that's in that smart framework is much more empowering and actionable. You can actually do something with that. Mm. So I think you have to set those in those three areas of your life, your money, your personal life, and your professional life. That's If you get those three areas right and you do lots of little smart sprints, you, sh- you should be able to create a pretty cool life. You mentioned that retirement planning is like being an endurance athlete. How so? Well, a lot of people want the quick and easy solutions. And that's what product marketers thrive on because they market supposedly quick and easy solutions. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm 49. I don't know how you are old you are, Daniel, but this is... I'm 32, 32. Okay. So this is, this is a long journey. This isn't some sprint up a mountain and then you reach it. You know, our life is a journey. So retirement is really just a mile marker on that journey. And so when we think about financial matters, especially, it's a lot like health. If I don't go to the gym today, no real effect in my life, right? It's not that big a deal. I can rationalize it as a, um, as a rest day. And if I don't go to the gym tomorrow, no big deal. But the cumulative impact of all these little small things is huge even though they feel like they're inconsequential. So what I mean by it's an, an endurance thing is that we're not, we can't just make it happen in one big thing. It's those step-by-step, step, those little steps of going to the gym every day. You'll never see a change in the mirror, but you will over a long time because the cumulative impact of that is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Right. By the way, you mentioned that you've been married over 24 years, and you say that you've discovered the secret to a great marriage. Can you share that with our listeners? <laughs> and this is really, I think, the secret to managing your money and your business well as, as well. So this is a that that's why I asked the question. Yeah, this is uh, so yeah. I've been married now 25 years. We just had an anniversary a couple months ago, and my secret to a good marriage, and I'm a pretty pragmatic guy. So my secret to a good marriage is 
that I never want to have a big conversation with my wife. Boy, I wish that was true. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Uh, and it's, I'm not going to say that I practice it as well as I, <laughs> I preach it, but it's my goal. And what I mean by that is, and I've unfortunately have had to witness and be involved in from a client perspective, you know, separations and divorces, and I've seen many things. And generally what happens is, they don't even know why they're getting divorced or what's happening. It's the cumulative effect of little misalignments that were never addressed. Hmm. I mean, as stupid as the toilet seat can build up a lot of resentment over 15 years if it's never addressed. And we start to live these separate lives in our head hmm. and they're never talked about because well, we have we have four toilets. So we don't have that problem. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. His and her. Yeah. But, but having those little conversations makes sure, you know, from a, a, a marriage perspective, a lot, you know, helps assure that you and your spouse are walking hand in hand and not drifting apart because you're dealing with little issues when they're really small. I mean, it's no different than not working out or watching your diet. That's going to cause probably a big conversation with your doctor. The same concept, right? Mm, and okay. the same thing works with money as well. And the nice thing about those little conversations, Daniel, mm -hmm. is, and this is where we all have a hard time, whether it's planning our business or planning our financial life, is we think we have to figure it all out. We, right. So we go listen to people that supposedly have some vision into the future in terms of forecasts and things like that. And really, they don't know what the heck they're talking about. They can't predict the future. And that's what we, so we get involved in trying to figure it all out. The nice thing about having little conversations, especially in a, in a financial aspect, is you're free. You don't have to figure it all out because you're having so many of the conversations that you can make little adjustments along the way. So it really gets your focus on what you really have control over. Mm, right. You, know, you mentioned in your blog that your mother lived for tomorrow and sacrificed an enjoyable life. What did you mean by that? Well, this is, this is a lot of my why. This is, you know, what I spent a lot of time figuring out why I'm doing what I'm doing is, so my mother, she, she was a single mother, raised my sisters and I, and when I was in college, high school, we would have these heated discussions, these debates, and she was very focused on busting her butt and working with the promise that she could enjoy her life later on during, in quote unquote, retirement. Right. And a lot of that came out of, I'm sure, being the sole breadwinner and, you know, having just, you know, gone through all that and not me being young and, you know, optimistic. I'm like, no, live for the day, carpe, carpe diem and all that was no, you, yeah. you know, you have to live for today. And we would have these discussions back and forth. And then when, but for her, when she was 48, very quickly con contracted cancer and passed away when I was like 22, I guess. Wow. And I have, as I've grown, I've come to appreciate her position as more, but I still have held on to, you still have to live well today because tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. So that's, that's in terms of how we view retirement, that's why I think the normal process and the normal stereotypes and how we're told to plan for retirement can be, really be destructive because it's all focused on saving and sacrifice for tomorrow. And if you look at the statistics, people that buy into the normal stereotype of retirement, they're afraid. They don't think they can do it. They're very worried about their future. And some of them are busting their butt to try to save. And every dollar you save today diminishes the money that you have and the time you have to live today. See, what's really interesting is that you just said that this is your why, right? 
but I don't understand. Your, your mother lived for tomorrow, right? She was sacrificing her life today for a better future, which in the end she never had. So I'm struggling to understand why then you decided to go along with her theory, which is to focus on tomorrow. I mean, you talk about managing cash flow by, you know, controlling expenses and maximizing your income. But like, I I don't want to hoard all my money to some time in the future. I'm like you as your 22 year old, uh, you know, an 18 year old. I like to enjoy living in the moment. I like to go on nice vacations. I like to spend, you know, money on nice, you know, romantic evenings in restaurants with my wife. And these are all things that I guess I think most people listening to this who are, you know, growing a business or looking to start a business, I think they're going to be thinking, yeah, I don't really want to think about saving all my money or investing all my money. I want to enjoy today. And, and you've kind of taken a different stance. Actually, no, I haven't. So let me, let me explain that. Maybe I didn't make myself clear. Mm-hmm. So do you know what a teeter-totter is? Nope. Okay. So a, teeter, a teeter-totter is something that's on a playground. And uh-huh. one kid sits on one end, the, another kid sits on the other end. And You're talking about a seesaw. Seesaw, teeter-totter. Yeah, seesaw, <laughs> I'm, I'm British. <laughs> <laughs> okay, seesaw. We're going to talk seesaws. So you know what a seesaw is. No, no, say, say teeter-totter because probably uh, we've got a large uh, U.S.-based okay. list. <laughs> so let's, let, on one end of that teeter-totter is living well today, okay? Mm-hmm. And on the other end is taking care of tomorrow. So a lot of people only want to live well for today and they do nothing to be to take care of their tomorrow. And so they're out of whack. There's a balance. You know, everything is about moderation, whereas other people are so worried about tomorrow that they sacrifice the only life they have. And that teeter totter is out of balance the other direction. So when I think of you, Daniel, and and I would I would challenge you on this because I want to live as well as I can today. I want to maximize my life today because I know tomorrow isn't promised. I've seen it too many times. But I'm a father. I'm a husband. I have to be a good steward. I have long-term aspirations, even though I don't know if I'll get to the long-term. So it's we're all trying to balance that teeter-totter or seesaw between living as well as we can today and knowing that tomorrow is still holds promise for a good future. So the key is the balance between the two. Traditional planning really gives you, you know, really focuses only on tomorrow. And I think that is totally wrong. I think we have to find that balance and we need to have a framework so we can figure out that balance because that's really what we're all trying to do in my mind. Well, what does financial freedom mean to you? Well, interestingly, when, when I survey people about what retirement means, so let me approach the answer this way. The two things they say is independence and freedom. Uh-huh. So I think that's what it means to me. I want to have as much freedom to control my time so I can be present with my children, so I can be present with friends and family and do the things I want to do. So I think of my life as not some march up Mount Everest to retirement, which is how a lot of people approach it. I think of it more in the Tim Ferriss way of lifestyle design in that I'm on a long journey and it's a continuum and I'm doing my best to live that balance or how, how I want to live right now. So in my mind, I'm, I am living retirement in that sense. I work hard, but I have freedom in my life and I serve wonderful people. To me, I'm, I'm living it. Interesting that you brought up Tim Ferriss because in his book, which, which I've read 
numerous times, and I highly recommend anyone listening to read his book. It's called The 4-Hour Workweek. Tim talks about mini-retirements. What, what do you think about mini-retirements? That is not something that I do, but I have a few clients where we plan their life that way. I have one gentleman in particular where he quits his job every five years and takes uh, a year and a half off. Wow. <laughs> and he's done it uh, two times. He was supposed to do it a third time, and then we pivoted a little bit. But it took okay. some planning, and it takes some self-confidence that you can go back into the workforce or into the business world and reignite whatever path you had. And he has been able to, but it takes some planning. So I think the key is we all are the captains of our ship, and if we have the right conversations and and make intentional choices, we can design it that way. Mm. I mean, I, I, I tell you what I think about mini retirement. For me, I, I, I consider myself semi-retired. I think I work probably, I don't know, I, I definitely don't work nine to five. And I spend a lot of time with my, I have three children. I, I spend a lot of time with them. I play tennis three times a week. I go to the beach as often as I can. But I've created a business that basically runs itself and creates uh, residual income. And I'm, again, if, reading Tim Ferriss's book and uh, various other, you know, Pat Flynn, I'm sure you're familiar oh, with. Oh, yeah, no, Pat. You know, it's all about building residual incomes and, and revenue streams so that, you know, in a sense, the way I look at retirement, I'm never going to retire. I'm already retired in a certain sense. I'm doing what I love. I mean, having this conversation with you, I, I love this. This is, this is what I want to be doing and helping other people as well and growing their business and, and motivating others and speaking. For me, I don't feel like I'm working. Well, you um, bring up a really important point, Daniel, in terms of, and I think you're dead on, and I am a reflection of those exact sentiments in terms of what I do. But the people that I've walked this journey into retirement with who are running away from the pain of being a servant to their employer and, and have working that grind. They go, they run towards retirement to get away from that pain of that nine to five subservient role as an employee. Mm -hmm. And they don't think at all about what they're running to. So what I have found is most people, almost, almost to a one, every person I work with that's in their 60s or 70s are earning income doing something, sometimes because they, they want need the money. Other times it's because they want to be engaged. They want to have worth. They want to add value. They want to mentor. They want to use all the skills and wisdom that they have. And I think, so I am right there with you. I think whether you work for an employer or you're an employee, that's the mindset you need to have. It's okay. What am I, what am I creating for myself? Because most people, they get to retirement and they realize it's not like the brochures. It's a little boring. Mm. By the way, you also said, um, I noticed on your, somewhere on your blog, you said that you can Google knowledge, but you can't Google wisdom. Can you elaborate on that? Um, well, I think that's really important, especially when you're, when you're, um, talking in financial terms with, you know, personal financial planning and things like that is, Especially in our industry, everything is, you know, very knowledge based where, you know, they were the keepers of all the all the knowledge and the techniques. And I found that to be very useless in terms of adding value with clients because the technical stuff is easy. You know, you know, when I was starting my book on when I started formulating what my book was going to be about, I bought every retirement book there was about retirement, and they were all knowledge-based. Here's how you do a Roth conversion. This is what a trust looks like. This is, you know, very technical stuff. Yep. And I'm like, I can Google this. I don't need to write that. Really where I think the value is, and this goes to a Seth Godin book, uh, uh, Lynchpin, is <laughs> in the new world, 
Knowledge is a commodity it's in personal finance and everything. It's only the artists or the people that have wisdom and things that can really change your paradigm and help you create something even more special. That's where the, the value is in the world now. Mm, I really like that. Roger, I also noticed that at the end of your name, there is half the alphabet. <laughs> CFP, CPWA, AIF. Now, I'm not a huge fan of degrees. Personally, uh, I put more trust in a person's character and experience than the amount of degrees they have. What are your thoughts on that? That's a good point. So I got all of those probably 15 years ago, and they're all more the preeminent certifications for my profession. Mm-hmm. Because for a long period in my life, I wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. Right. You know, and some of that probably was insecurity and, you know, not wanting to look bad and wanting to, you know, be legit. And right. that, so those certifications sort of helped me be able to do that to where I can hold a conversation about statistics and all technical mumbo jumbo that most people don't even care about. So that was part of my journey to where I am today. I will say, though, Daniel, and I can't remember who said this. I am glad that I had that more traditional education in retirement planning and financial planning because you have to, what was the, what was the phrase? It had to do with painting. There was a famous painter that said, until you understand the rules of painting, you can't, then you, once you understand the rules, then you can break the rules. If right. you just start doing, throwing, paint all over the place. You're just making a mess. You have to understand what the foundational stuff is so you can decide what to keep and what to throw away and where to go outside the line. So I'm glad I had my education because now I can really expose a lot of the the, the errors in it and where it's a little antiquated. Mm. By the way, you know, I also have some letters after my name. Oh, what are those? PBP. Do you know what that stands for? PBP. No, I don't. Professional brain picker. <laughs> nice. Is that, yeah, nice. <laughs> do you have to do, by the way, what? Do you have to do continuing education for that? Nah, just do these interviews. There you go, beautiful. <laughs> now, my wife, going back to what I mentioned earlier, my wife is a professional as well. She's actually a professional shopper. She loves to shop. How do I, and, and, I'm, and I'm speaking on behalf of all those husbands listening in who are, again, you know, working their butts off to earn a good living and then that you know and the, and the wife is going off shopping or spending the money uh, by the way can i just put a disclaimer it could be the other way around it could be that there are women listening to this and their husbands are going shopping and buying you know how do you best communicate with your spouse it's a very delicate issue and i'm sure like you said before you would dealt with a lot of people who are getting you know going through separation and a lot of divorces happen because of of money struggles you know thank god i've got a very happy marriage we're happily married for 9 years but i see a lot of the times where people have have a lot of struggle with when it comes to money how do you delicately have that conversation with your spouse well in full disclosure in my relationship with my wife she yeah. is a frugal shopper and i like to buy technology stuff so i would say i'm the spender um okay. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a really good question because this is foundationally important in terms of, from a financial perspective and a personal perspective. So ideally, if you think about it, I'll talk about my wife and I. She has skill sets and attributes that are very different than mine. I am a very quick, action-oriented person. I'm all over the place where she is much more steady, much more methodical about things. And you know, from a religious sense, in terms of a union of marriage, the idea is that together you're completed. 
right? Those two right. offsetting values or attributes really moder- you know, get you to a good, solid, balanced place. That's true, but those superpowers can be used for evil too, right? They can drive a wedge and really tear you apart out of frustration over wh- how, why the other one doesn't see things the way you see it. So I think the, the, the step the step one is is to jointly work on what it is we're actually trying to do together and have everybody buy into that. So go back to that smart sprint concept. If a couple could agree on, okay, over the next year, this is something that really means something to both of us. And that could be, you know, that could be saving, that could be saving up for something special for the house. It could be any number of things. The more both people are on board and it's not one dictating over the other, Mm. uh, the better. Because the problem is, most of the times, one person handles all the finances and the other one doesn't do any of it. And so you have one person freaked out and the other one feeling like they're always being told not to spend. Right. So I think you have to have – and I have I have worksheets of three little conversations that everybody should have every year. And I can share that resource with you if you like that outlines what those three conversations are and gives you a checklist of how to have them. And that's something you do as a couple so everybody's always on the same page. Hmm. What if a person is is just about managing to pay the bills? They're just getting by. How could they invest in their retirement? Well, what, 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 I got three three best investments people can make to have a great life. Okay, go for it. All right. The first one is invest in your relationships. Just what we talked That's, about. Hold on. Well, one sec. That's cheating. I, no, no, no. You want you want a costly financial mistake? Get divorced when you're 55. Actually, do you know what? My father just got divorced. He's 56, and yep. It yeah. will, you know, it will destroy you financially. It will destroy everybody financially. Yeah. And you know, we're not even talking about the softer side of things. Mm-hmm. Second, invest in your health. And I'm going to get to one that is more on your point, but this is important. Invest in your health. Because here's the reality of things is the healthier you are, the more energy you're going to have, the more focus you're going to have, so the more you're going to be able to do. But here's the really nasty thing as you get older. If you are unhealthy – You'll probably live almost as long as if you would have if you were healthy. It's just going to suck a lot more because you're not going to be able to do as much. And then lastly, the best investment you can make if you do it wisely is in yourself. Whether that if you work in a corporation, you need to invest in your network. You need to invest in being that artist. You need to invest in increasing your skills and your attractiveness in the market. If you're an entrepreneur, the same type of things apply. So if you can't save for retirement or for your kid's college, invest in yourself. When I was, this is uh, going back to 2002, when we were just starting our independent practice, my kids were a lot younger. They're 17 and 18 now. I stopped my retirement savings. I I decided I am not saving for college education. I am taking every dime and investing in myself and investing in this business, and I am going to build my balance sheet or my cash flow to be able to handle those things when the time comes. Mm -hmm. So I made that choice. I didn't invest in anything. I was just trying to keep the lights on and trying to invest in myself and in in my business. Now, you have to do it wisely, and that's a whole other discussion. But I think that's probably the best place to invest if you can't invest in normal retirement accounts because you're going to have – you are the wealth creator in your life, not investments. And if you had money, let's say a person has a little bit of money, what would be the best? Where would be the best place to invest? Who knows? Here's my checklist. <laughs> right? Here's my checklist. When we have excess capital to invest, uh-huh. we look at the person's balance sheet, our net worth statement, and we go emergency fund, which is the financial airbag for your life. 
Mm-hmm. We go the fund for upcoming big expenses that are extraordinary. We've got to make sure there's money for those things that are coming up in the next six months. We go to paying off bad debt. And then anything that's left over can be used for long-term investments. And those can be invested in yourself, in your business. Those can be invested in retirement accounts. They can be invested in taxable investments, whether that's public stocks and bonds or real estate. And it's different for everybody. But I would go through that hierarchy. Oh, interesting. You recently wrote an article titled, Want to Start a Business? Learn How to Fail Forward. What do you mean by failing forward? (laughs) Dude, you do your research. Yep. Well, I'm a big failure. You are? I am a huge failure. Why am I talking to you then? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I picked the brains of successful aren't you? <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you already know why. Because I fail right. all the time. And I just fail very quickly. Uh, and I fail. I try to make it as cost effective as possible. If you remember, you know, the good to great book in Jim Collins, it was shooting bullets, not cannonballs. So when I fail, I don't risk a lot with each failure. And each failure teaches me something, and it just makes me better and better and better. So that's what I mean. I mean, you have to you have to fail because what I found is, especially in our business, I look around because we're all sort of nerdy people in our business. Is you get trapped by perfection and wanting to get it all right before you ever attempt something, and you invest a ton of time, a ton of effort, and a ton of money sometimes, and then you show it to the marketplace and they hate it. Well, I'd rather just show it when I'm thinking about it and let the marketplace tell me where I should adjust and where I should pivot to make it as good as I can. Right. So fail fast so that you can then move forward and get on with other things. Yes. And it's hard for some people to do. It's a personality trait to an extent. Right. Roger, how can my listeners get in touch with you? Well, I'm at rogerwhitney.com is the website. Mm-hmm. I have the Retirement Answer Man podcast. And if you go there, there's a I send out a weekly email called Six Shots Saturday where I share six quick tips on how to live a better life and how to make better decisions with your money. Amazing. I'm going to put all these in my show notes. Roger, you are by far the most fun retirement planner I have ever met. Thanks so much for letting me pick your brain and thank you to all my fellow listeners for tuning in. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.